Welcome back to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, executive producer and former host, and I'm back in front of the mic today to bring you a special bonus series on five writing essentials, brought to you by Nick Childs, the industry writing coach for the College of Journalism at the University of Georgia. Nick and I sat down over Zoom to bring you this bonus series. In this episode, the fourth of five parts, Nick and I discuss covering the other. How do we cover communities to which we don't belong? But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Okay, so welcome back, everyone. We're here to talk about writing about the quote-unquote other. So, Nick, what do you mean by that? What is the other? Um, So the other is or are the people in a society, a community, who are outside of the mainstream. So those could be immigrants, people of color, um, people who don't speak English as a first language, um, or if you're in another country who don't speak the local language. So the other, I, I think of otherism as kind of the first step before we even get to some of the, the isms in our society, like racism and sexism, um, homophobia. So at some point, someone endeavored to create the impression in, in a public's mind that this person is different, that their community is different than yours is their way of life is different so that kind of differentiation becomes necessary before that person and that community is demonized Um, the more that you can relate to that person the more you see them as like you the less likely you are to kind of fall into stereotypes and be like fearful of that community if they seem like they have the same likes and desires and goals as you do, then you have no reason to fear them. So I, I talk a lot about the other because I think that much of our journalism history in this country has been to otherize particular groups and to make readers, I think, fear them or at least fear their lifestyle or their, their, their community or their differences because in, in many ways, if the readers feel like that they're, the way that they do things differently is in some way a judgment on how I do things or the way I live my life. For, so for instance, um, Islam, you know, being Muslim, the Muslim religion has been otherized in this country, even though a very significant portion of the world's community is, is Muslim. And so, in attacking Islam, it is in some way an affirmation that if where Christ, Christianity or even Judaism is the more preferred or more logical or they, the better way of worshiping. And so it's inherent in a lot of the ways that, you know, for instance, you know, the, the president's spoken about communities that don't necessarily, aren't filled with people who are in the mainstream as a way of otherizing them. And then it's easier for mainstream communities to accept decisions that are being made at the presidential level and administration level that harm those communities. 
So that's what I mean by other. So then how do we write about the other or specifically, I guess, communities to which we don't belong, the out group? Yeah. I actually, I taught a, a class at Princeton um, called Examining the Other that kind of brought students through this process because the idea was if you're going to be a journalist in America, at some point you're likely going to be writing about communities that you don't belong to, communities perhaps that you don't even understand that well. And it's always tempting and easiest to kind of look at those communities through the mainstream or Western lens. So if you're writing about the Muslim community or even the Jewish community and you want to write about how they worship and the fact that, you know, women are not allowed to worship in the same place as the men um, or women are not allowed to lead the worship, then you're passing judgment on that particular community or way of worshiping. Um, so if that becomes then like kind of the focus of your story, you know, how women are, are, have to walk behind or they have to, to cover their faces or bodies um, or they're not allowed. So then basically you are otherizing that community by focusing on the things that are different from your community. And in some subtle ways, then perhaps you are making the reader feel comfortable in the way that they do things and uncomfortable with the way that somebody else is doing things. So I just think that writers, that journalists need to be incredibly aware of these pitfalls when they're going into any kind of journalism situation where people don't look like them. Um, be aware of the biases that you might be bringing with you. You know, those are things that you can't really do anything about. You can't get rid of them necessarily, but you can avoid allowing them to creep into your copy or allowing them to keep creep into the, the perspective or the kind of the, the, the way, the approach that you want to take to telling that particular story. You know, the, the, the thing that I want read the journalists to have when they go into the community is, is empathy. Um, now, empathy doesn't mean sympathy. It doesn't mean pity. It doesn't mean that you are going to write a story that, you know, makes the reader feel sorry for this community. But it, it, it means that you're going to have an open enough mind that you understand that just because they do things differently doesn't mean they do things wrong. And also to, to understand that, for instance, what, what are, one of the things I did with my Princeton classes, I wrote, I had them write a story about a, an immigrant family. Um, and so we went to an immigration center in New Jersey, about an hour away from Princeton, a place that was dealing with a lot of immigrants who went undocumented. And they had to write profiles of either um, the family or like the head of the family or the mom, but not write about their immigration story. So in other words, a lot of the stories, especially about like Mexicans after the administration was locking down the border, um, making it much harder to cross or to become documented, so stories would focus on the harrowing journey across the border and, you know, the coyotes, the, 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 the guys who were called coyotes who would take advantage of them and, you know, the, the, 
really difficult things they saw. And that, that became the prevailing narrative of, in so many immigration stories that we then didn't have the opportunity to see them as new Americans who want the same things for their families and their children that we want, who contribute to our society um, in particular ways. Um, you know, this is a country of immigrants. You know, most of us um, have some kind of immigration story in our background. So these are all things that I, I want writers to be aware of when, when they, they go in and, and are being challenged with writing about a community that they don't belong to. One challenge, I think, for a lot of student journalists especially are trying to balance the fear of doing a flyby. You know, if they're reporting on a community, they're wanting to not only do that community justice, but, but they feel some sort of level of guilt by sort of getting what they need for the story and then leaving that community. What, right. How do you balance that? Um, well, in this day and age, I think most of these communities are begging for people to come in and to really tell their stories. Um, and it's the failure of publications and journalists to do that, that in many ways have allowed these communities to be demonized. So any journalism is just a slice of someone's life, a window into who this person is, a small window. In no way are we ever going to be able to tell someone's entire life story, um, even in memoirs and biographies, which I also write. Um, you know, I'm writing a 300 page profile of someone and I know there are many things that I'm leaving out um, for many different reasons. So even 300 pages isn't enough space to tell someone's entire story. So certainly 800 words or 1,000 words or 2,000 words is never going to, to tell the story. But what you want to do is you want to give the reader at least enough of a comprehensive picture of who this person is to make them human, to humanize them. So just as if, if you were writing someone who was, um, was disabled, you're not going to spend the entire story talking about, you know, how one of their legs is disfigured. Um, you know, that might be something you describe in passing, or that might have some impact on the person that they have become. But then you want to spend most of your time talking about the person that they are and, and, and you know, perhaps the job that they do or something about them that isn't related to this thing that may be different than the way that most readers' legs look. So just as in that way, you wouldn't write about a person of color, an African-American, and focus on the fact that if you know most of your readers are, are white, that you're going to describe something about their community that um, may be different than the white community and maybe somebody, something that someone can stereotype. Um, you know, so, oh, you know, this family has, um, you know, there's generations of fathers not in the home. So that becomes the focus of your story um, as if, you know, that is something that is specific only to the African-American community, um, but yet it's feeding into stereotypes. And so these are all things that you need to be aware of. And you also need to be aware of, aware of the prevailing narrative that you know the mainstream community has. So in that way, you can avoid stereotypes and exacerbating stereotypes. So if you know what they're saying about 
immigrant communities or the homeless um, or, you know, Asian community, you know, there's all these, um, you know, I have friends who are Asian American who talk a lot about, you know, the model minority and what that means to them, you know, and, and how, you know, it affects, you know, the life decisions that they make. Or I even have a, you know, a friend who, um, an Asian American woman I've been friends with a long time who, you know, she talks about the fact that she knows she lives in California. Most people think that Asians are bad drivers. Like that's a stereotype that she is aware of every time she gets behind the wheel. So when she like makes a mistake or like she has to be hyper conscious of not doing something bad when she's driving because she knows that it's going to feed into the stereotype that people have about Asian women. So that's all to say that as a writer, you know, your job is to avoid falling into these stereotypes. And so to do that, you have to be aware of these stereotypes, certainly, but you want your writing to go beyond that. Your first, to, to go back to your initial question, most people, if you treat the, their story in a complete way, um, you know, and you humanize them, then they're going to be all too glad to, you know, to have you exploit that particular story for your, for your own purposes. Is there ever a, a situation in which you might share with one of your sources how you plan on depicting them or to what elements you use to describe them in order to be extra sensitive or is that ever acceptable or okay or recommended? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to, a lot of times you have to almost have a certain protective element to the way that you're approaching the story and these people. You know, there's a story that I often tell about this assignment that I had, this long-term assignment when I was a reporter in New Jersey for the Star-Ledger. Um, we decided in 1995 to, to do a long-standing um, feature on the class of 2000. So when these kids were in eighth grade, we picked eight kids in the city of Newark, New Jersey, and eight kids in Livingston, New Jersey, which was a, a wealthy suburb about 10 miles away. And so I, and me and a, a photographer, wrote about these 16 kids for the next five years. And there are various things that started to develop and become apparent to me. And one was that poor communities are much more open about letting writers or people or strangers in and telling them anything that they want to know. So I would find out all of these perhaps harmful facts about families in Newark, you know, things that illicit activities that family members might be up to, anything that was even remotely negative in Livingston, I would be banned from writing. And because I had to go back to these kids and these families over and over and over again, I had to listen to them. Um, and so what I began to see was my stories were actually exacerbating stereotypes. Because I was, you know, one of my kids in, in, in Newark, you know, became a teenage mom. You know, another kid um, was doing a lot of drugs. Another kid dropped out of school. Um, another kid's brother went to jail. There were things that were happening in the other community, the white community. It was, so it was mainly my, black and Latino in Newark, white and Asian in Livingston. And those kids were actually having challenges and difficulties too. You know, and many of them were very endemic of, you know, a, a upper middle class white suburb in America, like um, mental health problems, you know, challenges. Or, you know, maybe um, 
a certain freedom with, with, with drugs and drug use or sexuality, a lot of things that, you know, a stereotypical of this community, but I was not allowed to write about them. And so therefore the reader would then over time get the impression these kids were perfect and the other kids were not. And so I say all that to say that, you know, as a writer, you often may have to shield people in certain communities who may be giving you too much information. I did a story in, at Newsday, um, we were doing profile on poverty in New York and we picked different aspects of it. And so I was doing a mom on welfare. She was a Hispanic woman, you know, lovely woman with two kids. Um, she also had a job on the side while she was getting welfare. But I knew if I wrote that, it would like upend her life. And so I had to, even though she was willing to tell me, I had to make a decision that I would not include this fact in my story. So in some ways I was not giving a complete picture of this woman's life and her struggle to make ends meet on welfare. But I knew that welfare by itself was not enough to support her and her family. So I had to get the, that knowledge and the elements of what that meant into my story without telling the reader that she had to pick up extra money on the side. So I had a responsibility to her that I felt you know, very strongly about. So I wasn't telling the whole story, but at the same time, you know, I felt like I was giving the readers enough of the story that they kind of get the, got the essence of what I was doing and why I was doing it. Great. Well, I think that this will wrap up our conversation here on writing about the other. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this special bonus series of The Lead Podcast. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. This is part four of five, so be sure to tune in to part five, where Nick and I discuss developing your voice in writing. This podcast was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. To keep up with the lead, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Until next time.